name is Brian Shu. I'm one of the elders here, and it's great to be with you, especially after uh, the season of uh, the pandemic. Um, Jose and I actually, Jose and Melissa and their, their beautiful kids are in our, our home group, and uh, Jose and I got together for coffee in May, and we were kind of sharing stories, and he was sharing all of that, and, and I was telling him, oh, I've got this, this, this passage in Hebrews coming up about Abraham, and I was like, this is like modern-day Abraham right here, leaving home and leaving all the things and all the challenges, and it's just a fantastic story, so thank you for sharing that. Well, again, it's great to see all of you. Uh, I realize it's a holiday weekend, so maybe our attendance is a little light, but actually it looks pretty good. Um, I was expecting a little lighter, maybe because of July 4th, but also I don't know if you've uh, kept up with some of the news that California's population for the first time has decreased. Uh, That was the first decrease since the 1850s. And some of that was pinned on the pandemic, right? You could work from home and do different things like that. But some of it wasn't, and 50% of registered voters have thought about leaving California. So somebody in this room has had the thought about leaving, right? I I know that's a conversation that we have at home sometimes, Uh, sometimes with the young families in our home group, that happens. So how do you figure out when it's time to leave? How do you figure out when to make these big life decisions? Well, what are some of the reasons that you think are out there for people leaving California? Anybody? You got any, got any thoughts? Taxes. Higher taxes. taxes. Houses. Cost of housing. Right? Better family. Some of it's politics. I know some people uh, have moved to different places, and then people are like, well, that's not my politics. I'm moving somewhere else. So there's all kinds of different reasons. And there... As we look at it, I thought there was a reason that the polls didn't capture. And that was God's calling on that family to leave. Now, I know it's probably true and it's probably hidden there for for some people, but it's just something the polls didn't find. Think about this for yourself. How do you make these large life decisions? What is your guiding North Star? High school and college graduates Congratulations. You made it through an incredibly tough year. But many of you now are figuring out, what's my next step? Some of you are going to a new place that you've never gone before. Maybe it wasn't even the school or the job that you thought you were going to get. Young professionals, I read recently, and this is scary for me as a hiring manager, 50% of you think about leaving your job because you can work remotely, right? 50% of you. For some of us on the back end of our careers, when is it time to retire? Where are we going to retire? We're all in the midst of making these kind of large life decisions. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series in, called Stories of Faith. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, particularly the stories of faith of Abraham and Sarah. These are two central figures of the Bible. And we're going to find out they, they actually face very similar life decisions that we faced. And we can learn from their example. This passage presents to us three by faith statements. And the first, we're going to see that by faith, we need to reorient our life to the call of Jesus. And then once we're reoriented, that's not a one-time thing. We're going to need to continue to refocus 
on God as we live our life. And then as we, we are refocused, that puts us in a better position to be able to receive what God is doing in our life. So you got that? There's three R's in a perfectly you know, standard PBC three-point sermon. Reorient, refocus, and receive. Okay? Great. Well, hopefully there's a picture on, in your screen that you can see now. Is anybody, can, can anybody recognize maybe where that photo was taken? Marin Headlands, close, very close. Any takers? This is actually, oh, I heard it, Angel Island. Very good, Scott Grant. Uh, this was actually taken a few years ago in Angel Island, and my family took a day off, I think it was in the spring, just to go hiking. I'd never been there, um, and it was a great hike for us, a beautiful day outdoors. But it was a little bit ironic for me, right? If you know the history of Angel Island, you know that this was a place where uh, a lot of Chinese immigrants stayed, right, on their journey into America. And this was actually the case for my grandfather 80 years ago. So 80 years ago, he was in a place not for leisure, but because he was trying to come to America to make a better life for himself. He left his family, his two young daughters, who he wouldn't see for another 10 to 15 years. So my mom and my aunt basically grew up without him. I only remember my grandfather telling me a few stories about Angel Island, mostly that he was surprised the guards could understand a little bit of Chinese, so they couldn't talk behind their backs. Um, But otherwise, uh, from there he moved on and ended up in Mankato, Minnesota. Does anybody know where that is? Whoa. Okay, I didn't. I had to look it up. And I was like, how did you get there, Grandpa? I mean, this is crazy. Um, From there, he actually ended up serving in the U.S. military in World War II. And so when he he passed, he was actually, uh, we were given a flag as part of his service. Uh, He finally settled in Oakland, in in the East Bay, um, had a little grocery store, and was able to make a life for himself, was able to bring my grandmother, my mom, my aunt over. They had two more kids. And it's just, I I don't know, to me, I lived my whole life in California. I can't imagine, I can't grasp what he had to do to go through that. And um, it's still very difficult for me to understand that. Many of you, I think, in your families have similar stories. Maybe this is your story. You've come from a, a different place. Of course, this is a very physical description of your journey. But obviously, we know, as I've alluded to, there's relational there's spiritual, emotional components as well. Where's your life going? Where was Abraham going? Let's look at that. So let's look at starting at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, wait, let's stop right there. I want to stop with by faith. I actually went a little farther than I wanted to. When you hear that phrase, by faith, what do you think about? How does it make you feel? Does it, is it a positive feeling? Neutral? Negative? You can already see where I'm going with this, right? You make these big life decisions by faith. How does it make you feel? If you've been with us for this series, you've already seen how faith has been defined. Just look up in the first 
verse of the chapter, and I'll read it for us. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you hear that statement by faith, and it makes you feel a little bit uneasy, maybe it's a little less than positive, I understand that. It sounds risky, right? I mean, how do you trust in something in the future that's not certain? Something that I cannot see. Well, let me suggest to you, and I think Scott mentioned the same thing as he preached on this, that faith is not in the thing of the future, but it's in the one who can guarantee that future. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Can any of us here in this room guarantee our futures? I know I can't. And many of us work hard to try to control that future, right? We have plans. We have thoughts. We work really hard. But I would argue it's way more risky to trust in yourself or maybe someone else for that future. So what do we do? Well, I think this passage offers us a different way. If we read a little bit more into verse 8, we see that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Abraham's story actually starts in Genesis 12. Life changes for him because someone calls him into action. Abraham isn't following his own plan anymore. So if we look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. We see from this verse in Genesis that it is the Lord who calls or said to Abraham, directed his steps. So who is this Lord? Well, I think the Bible starts in Genesis for a perfect reason, right? This, the story about Abraham starts in chapter 12, but really Genesis gives us, all of us, our origin story, right? Genesis chapters 1 and 2 tell us that the Lord is the one who creates the heavens and the earth. He is the one who speaks everything to existence. He is the one who created us. He is the one who can direct our paths. He is the only one who can do that. Now, I'll admit, Abraham's interactions with God are probably a little bit different than what you've experienced. Several times in Genesis, it said that the Lord appeared to Abraham, or even called him, talked directly to him. Certainly, these interactions would make life a little bit easier for us, right? If the Lord appeared to me and said something, maybe I'd be able to trust that a little bit easier, right? So how do we hear his call in, in lieu of that? Well, maybe during COVID, you, like many other people, were able to get outside and enjoy outdoor activities a little bit more than you, you had previously in the past. Did you ever get a sense of awe and wonder as you were out there? being able to experience nature, seeing what God has created. The book of Romans tells us that is God, in fact, telling you he's right here. Next time you're outside, listen to that, that sense of awe and wonder. He is calling you. Here's another way to hear his call. Hopefully this morning you're here listening to what I hope is a faithfully preached message from what we call the word of God, the Bible. God is calling you through how he has revealed himself to us. That is through the Bible. And through the Bible, we can find out who Jesus is. Search the Bible and see who this Jesus is. Here's another way. 
Now, this morning, you might be at home live streaming, but there is a group of us, and as Rolana talked about, we are starting to regather. And there's a group of us who know the Lord here. And we can learn from each other, from stories like Jose and Melissa's, stories of faith that can encourage us. Get to know this community. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the Lord promises that we will be known by our love for one another, and as we love each other, we can demonstrate that to you. So who is it that's guiding and directing your life? Abraham's faith was in the Lord who created everything. This is the foundation for Abraham's actions. In the same way the Lord is calling you, take a moment to listen. Well, let's move on. In verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So now we get into the action. Abraham obeyed God's call. Abraham left everything that was familiar, and he went to things that were unfamiliar. In a lot of ways, this is our spiritual journey. I'm sure Abraham had plans for his life, just like you do, but to suddenly change course, that had to be jarring, right? He had to reorient everything to follow what God had asked him to do. The spiritual reorientation is necessary for all of us. If you've been at church, you might hear this word. It's another R word. Repent. It's, it means to change your mind, to change your, your purpose. It's really, instead of living life for yourself and guiding yourself to a path, it's reorienting yourself to God's path, to God's plan. It definitely will feel like you're leaving everything that you know, everything that's comfortable, but it's fully worth it if we know who we are following by faith. Abraham heard that call from the Lord, and we know that Lord to be Jesus Christ. Reorient your life to the call of Jesus and follow him. So I'm going to tell another story now. Um, my grandfather, like I said, was, ev- was eventually able to bring uh, my grandmother and mom uh, to America. My, gran- my dad actually also immigrated to the U.S. in the 1960s. Um, They got married, have two kids, and uh, this was all in the East Bay. And eventually they moved down to Southern California. So my older sister and myself. And we grew up in a little town called Diamond Bar. Now, Diamond Bar at the time was a pretty small town. It's not so much anymore. Uh, But it was on the outskirts of L.A. County. And pretty much there weren't very many Asians at that time. I'm pretty sure I was the only Chinese kid at my school. And I felt this, even as a four-year-old. I knew I was a little bit different than the other kids, just by skin color, uh, hair color. And I I remember I was four years old, and I had one of my neighbor friends was over. He was also the same age as me. His name was Warren. And we were playing together, and Warren just said, you know, it's time for me to go home. And... And somewhere out of me said, is it because I'm Chinese that you're going home? Nothing, prompt, nothing Warren did prompted that response, in all fairness. He'd never given me any indication. He said, no, it's just it's 3 o'clock. It's time to go home. I've got to get a snack. So what made me think as a 4-year-old that this was the reason? 
The sense of belonging was real, or not belonging was real, and it has persisted. I would spend a lot of my life trying to fit in, but most of the time I felt like I didn't. My dad's father gave me uh, my middle name, Ginting. Yeah, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, he, just, he passed away a few months before I was born, so I never was able to meet him. But it was, I think that made it especially meaningful. My dad said he gave me that name because he wanted me to build a boat and go back to China. I think somewhere there's a literal meaning in that. Uh, finally, in my early 20s, I was able to go to China, my first trip to China. Uh, and one of the stops, interestingly enough, was the hometown area where both of my grandfathers would have come from. It was a pretty surreal trip for me. I knew pretty quickly I didn't belong there either. Uh, and people reminded me that as well. They would look at me differently. They would, they would ask, are you Hispanic? Are you Filipino? Because you're not Chinese, and I, my, I don't speak a lot of Chinese either, so that was a, a big dead giveaway. Um, so I sat on the train going to our next destination, just kind of taking all this in, and uh, I realized that if my grandfather, my dad, had never left uh, China, I likely would have grown up there. And my chances for hearing the gospel at that time would have been nil, right? It's, it's still a fairly close country to the gospel. And then the Lord showed me as well that every family member who has come to America or has, who has been born in America, almost every single one is now a follower of Christ. I think that was God's way of saying to me, neither of these places are your home. America, China, that's not it. You have a heavenly home. Refocusing for me on that reality really brought a lot of my experiences into a different perspective. So let's move to the next by faith statement, where we'll see how Abraham, refocusing on God, helped him to live in the here and now. So verse, verse 9 starts with, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. If you're not familiar with Abraham's story, or if you're just taking these first few verses as a glance, as a glance it, might, it might appear that Abraham's story is pretty straightforward, right? Takes God's call, goes to the land, and he's looking forward to this thing, so everything works out great, right? If you just reorient your life to God, everything's going to work out great. Well, let me give a little background to Abraham's story. He's 75 years old in Genesis chapter 12, where he first hears this story. Abraham dies 175, at age 175. So 100 years pass from the time he hears the call of God, enters in the land, wanders around, and dies. Never in that time does he possess the land. He never lives in a house. He's always living in tents. If any of you are going to Camp PBC in a few weeks, we're going to be living in a tent for a week. I promise you that is enough for me. One week of a tent. Abraham's there for 100 years in a tent. He never gets to, to take hold of it. So living in that tension must not have been easy for him. right? It must have been like Christmas Day every day for 100 years. Is this the day? Is this the day? But for 100 years, he never sees it. But we know that Abraham's in it for the long haul. He refocuses on God 
constantly refocusing through life. This verse tells us that Abraham lived, right? He didn't just sit passively by waiting for life to happen to him. He lived it. And when you live life, stuff's going to happen, right? Yes, Abraham obeys God's call. Yes, he's oriented to what God is doing. But he's far from perfect. If you read the stories in Genesis, you'll see that. He definitely makes mistakes, right? And some pretty egregious ones sometimes. And then he repeats them. Does that sound familiar, some of us? Sometimes he acts as a warrior, a rescuer. Sometimes he's a good father, a good husband. Sometimes he's not. But God is in all these stories as well. If you're not perfect, don't lose heart. Abraham was far from perfect. Refocus on God this morning. As we look further into this verse, we see that Abraham lived as in a foreign land. The NASB said he lived as an alien. Now, feeling like an alien can be an unsettling feeling, like it was for me in my story. I feel that tension in so many ways still, right? I don't want to be the one that looks out of place. I want to assimilate. I want to blend in. I want to fit in with my neighbors, my work crew. That's just our natural tension, right? Well, how do we live life here as an alien then? If our home's in heaven, but we're here, how do we do that? And I thought about one thing. Maybe we just embrace being an alien. If we're able to constantly refocus on where our home really is, maybe that will help us. And maybe instead of trying not to be the foreigner, we can bring some of our home here. Citizens of heaven are characterized by fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Right? This is who we should be as people of God, as citizens of heaven, aliens in this land. As we look a little bit further into this verse, we see that Abraham wasn't alone as an alien, right? He was with fellow heirs of the same promise. So another way we could live life as an alien is to look around us and help the other aliens. That's us in the room, right? One topic we recently discussed in an elders meeting was how are we doing in terms of discipleship? And that's, that phrase discipleship has had a big meaning in the history of this church, And historically, it's looked like people gathering together in small groups, praying for each other, learning to study the scriptures together, and the phrase, encouraging people to be independently dependent on Jesus. We still believe that's important today. If you're not part of a discipleship group, we would encourage you to do that. Reach out to someone. We'd hope we would find you, but reach out to us. We would love to have you as part of a discipleship group. In the same discussion, we noted PBC is actually pretty good at generating community. But sometimes breaking into those communities can be challenging. Let's remember we have fellow aliens along journeying with us, and they need to be part of the bubble as well. I think that was one of the challenges we talked about throughout last year with COVID, was how do we continue to stay connected with people? And Rolana did a lot of work to those efforts, and we're thankful for that. And now as we start to regather 
we, we still have to work towards that. We still have to maintain and grow our community. Look for ways where you can help connect other people to, to our church. There are aliens outside of PBC as well. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that a lot, of, a lot of people have left California since uh, over the last year. But actually, one story I read said over 71% of tech workers are from a foreign country. 71%. Maybe God, God is calling us to reach people who are actually from another, another place so that they don't feel like aliens, so that we can help point the way to their real homes. There are some in our area who really don't have homes, and I'm grateful for those in our body who have, who have woven things in ministries like Heart and Home into our PVC fabric. Over the past year, we've touched on some racial justice issues for similar reasons. And it's not because of political ideology, but because we're looking at what is God doing and what does he want us to do in these areas. I want to read you a statistic that was crazy to me. Overall, hate crimes reported to law enforcement this past year rose 31% in California. Attacks against Asians have gone up 107%, according to the report. Hates against black people which constitute a majority of racially motivated attacks, increased 88%. Anti-Latino crimes were 38%. Here's the quote from our state attorney general, Rob Bonta. For too many, 2020 wasn't just about a deadly virus. It was about an epidemic of hate. For as bad as 2020 was with COVID, it was an epidemic of hate as well. What was the first characteristic I read of the children of God from Galatians? Love. We need to make a difference. We can make a difference. Refocus on God as you live your life. The last story I'll tell this morning of my story of faith, um, this is Vanessa and my 20th anniversary I didn't know she was going to be sitting here this morning, and I didn't tell her this was in the the sermon. So let's see if I get to 21. Uh, But it was an also adventurous, it's been a blessed 20 years. We had our ups and downs, um, like many, but it's been blessed. But there was also nine years before that, before when we first met, before we got married. Um, Let's just say it wasn't uh, very fruitful, (laughs) not for lack of my efforts, but it was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, We both finished school, and uh, we seemed to be headed to different parts of the world. I got a job up here. She was following her family to the East Coast. And frankly, it seemed like, you know, this thing wasn't going to happen, and it was probably time to move on, right? A few months later, I hear from a good friend, hey, you know what? Vanessa's moving out here. She's got a job out here. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I figured the Bay Area is a big place. We're not probably not going to cross paths. It'll be fine. A few months later, this, this good friend of ours says, she's actually moving to Cupertino, and I had just gotten a job in Cupertino. And uh, so now I'm like, well, okay, South Bay's still a big place. It's probably not a problem, right? A few months later, we have a dinner with this mutual good friend, and it's a pretty big party dinner. I figure I can hide. Um, but we start talking, and she says, oh, what, what church are you going to? I've been looking for a different church. I said, I've been to PBC, part of YAF. 
part of a men's group with Scott. I really love it. It's great. Maybe you should check it out. And then I thought, I don't know why I said that, because I don't really want to. And Scott, you probably remember this story. I did not really want her to check it out. Uh, and uh, so months had passed that I hadn't seen her, and uh, it was, I think Scott was one of your first times preaching up here. So he, had, he invited some of the YAF uh, folks to come up and participate in the service. And Scott had asked me to read uh, uh, a passage from the scripture that morning. And, and as I finished reading and I was walking down the steps, or used to be steps here across the whole stage, a thought came in my mind. I said, it must have been from God. I thought, if there was any Sunday she was going to visit, it's going to be this Sunday. And I'm halfway down the steps and I look that way to the fireside room and sure enough, there she is. And I just kind of laughed to myself. God, what are you doing? And uh, so she started attending PBC. Scott had suggested, hey, why don't you check out high school? There's a lot of stuff going on there. That's a, it's a great place to pour your life into. So I started doing that. And she started doing that. And I really was like, God, what are you doing here? Because I'm not sure I want to go here. Um, and one night I was out for a run, just kind of wrestling with God with this. And I heard a very small voice say to me, you know what, you just want me to tell you what's going to happen. Just trust me. And it was so jarring, so still quiet voice, but still jarring that I, I literally stopped in my tracks. No matter how hard I tried to make something happen or not make something happen, ultimately I had to trust God for what he was going to do, to be able to receive what he was going to do. So, so far in our story, we've seen Abraham reorient his life towards God. We've seen him have to refocus on that. And now we'll see how Sarah, by doing that same process, gets to receive the blessings of God. And sometimes this isn't very easy for us to do. So let's look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. This time, the by faith statement focuses on Sarah. The story of Sarah, if you're not familiar, she was not able to bear children. I know this is a huge struggle, a source of heartache for many. But think about it for Sarah. For Sarah, she had heard the promise in Genesis chapter 12 at the age of 65, already barren for a long time. How would God make a great nation through her? Where did that leave her in the story? 11 years after hearing this promise and yet seeing no children, Sarah decides to offer up her servant Hagar to Abraham. Maybe that's the way the promise is going to happen. As we read more about that story, that choice leads to more heartache for our characters. And ultimately, the child that was born through that wasn't how God was going to carry out his plan. Later, the Lord visits Abraham. Now Sarah's 90 years old. And he tells them again, you will have a son. And Sarah in the distance laughs. Do you really blame her? By the way, we always hear that Sarah laughs and we give her a hard time about it. But Abraham actually laughed about it too in chapter 17, so let's, let's be fair here. I think, though, this verse in, Abraham, in Hebrews actually implies that Sarah somehow changed, right? She went from laughing to being able to receive what God was doing there. She went from trying to manufacture an outcome to control her circumstances 
to allow God to enter in and do something. She refocused, and she was able to receive. Now, I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that having children or having a family is the ultimate goal for us or is the measure of faith. But it is definitely part and a very powerful part of our human experience. Each phase of that process presents its own challenges to faith, many of which bring us to our own laughing moments, which we know aren't laughter, it's pain. But hopefully God will use that to bring us to a place where we can receive what he's doing. Singleness can be hard, right? Waiting to have children can be hard. Having children can be hard. I'm always humbled when we do the annual prayer request and we get to pray for you as elders uh, at our retreat. How many of those prayer cards actually are from you adult parents praying still for your adult kids? We really can't do anything about these circumstances or outcomes. By faith, we have to receive what God will do. And through Abraham and Sarah came blessings to us all. So now we're coming to the last verse of this passage. And I always thought if we were talking about great stories of faith, particularly about Abraham, we should be talking about how God tested Abraham's obedience, how he called Abraham to sacrifice the son that he waited so long for. And I think the writer of Hebrews here is acknowledging that story in this verse. Verse 12 echoes Genesis twenty-two seventeen through 18, which closes out that particular story from Abraham's life. And verse 12 says, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham and Sarah waited a long time to have their child. This promise that God made to Abraham that he would be the father of so many. Now he finally has his son Isaac, a teenager, and God does the incomprehensible ask to Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And Abraham almost goes all the way through with it until God intervenes. Abraham shows that he's willing to follow in faith, even to that point, to give up what meant the most to Abraham. Eventually, however, the son of Abraham was sacrificed. The Gospel of Matthew starts with this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God wove this incredible story together, starting with Abraham and culminating in the life of of Jesus. Abraham's son was supposed to be sacrificed, but he was spared. Abraham's son, Jesus, God's son, was not. He died on our behalf. And because of that, if you hear Jesus' call this morning, reorient your life to follow him. Refocus on Jesus this morning so that you can receive what God is doing. Galatians tells us, and I'll, I'll finish with this, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. See, you are, all of us here, the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And what's the promise? It's for us to live in the city that has foundations, whose designer 
and builder is God. Reorient, refocus, and receive. Worthy of every song we could ever sing.